0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 100, and stand as you find that, and I will read. Psalm 100, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we again just are so grateful, Lord, for your love for us, for the grace that you have poured out on us in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Thank you, Father, for your willingness to speak to us, to enter into fellowship with us as we have celebrated here with communion, that our hearts and souls Lord, have been united to you, made one with you through faith in Christ. We thank you for embracing us, saving us, adopting us, God, into your family. And Lord, we know that it is your desire and intention to speak, that we would hear, respond to you in faith and obedience. And I pray, God, that we would hear your voice and yield to you in faith for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. Well, I've been gone, as you know, and I appreciate Dale Epp and Ron Lowry standing in for me over the last couple weeks. Patsy and I and and, um, three of the staff from His Hill were in England. We have every four years International Staff Conference for Torchbearers, and so that was up, time for that, and so we were there, it was a good week. Um, Unlike any other time that I can remember, and this was my eighth staff conference, eighth time to go to England every four years, um, the food was really good. (laughs) They have discovered salt and pepper since the last time we were in England, so that was great. They still haven't figured out how to make ice or sweet tea, but maybe next hundred years they'll figure out how to do that weather was great. It was sunny most of the time, which is also unusual for England, but it was a good trip. The most um, significant um, thing that had to transpire um, was that um, a new general director was being chosen for torchbearers, and if you know anything about the Ministry of Torchbearers International, that is significant because um, it's a 70-year-old ministry, and there has always been a Thomas at the helm and that meaning only two people, Major Ian Thomas, the founder, and then his eldest son, Chris. And so now there is no longer a Thomas at the top. Um, The new general director's name is Peter Reed, and he is the director at one of our German um, torchbearer schools, Bodenseehof. There's a lot of sheep on the property there in England, and um, as you go for walks through the lanes and things, um, there's there's wool um, along the... Uh, fences and in and the grass, and, and the wife of the new general director, um, her name is Gabby, um, she was collecting a little bit of wool all week, and when it became known that her husband would be the new general director, she fastened, fashioned that wool into a little sheep, and she gave it to her husband and said, this is so that you never forget that you are just a dumb sheep. And he told us that story, and I thought, that is a good wife. (laughs) When any of us get promoted, get recognized, elevated in any way, it is so easy to let it go to our heads and forget that we are just dumb sheep. I love this Psalm 100, because right in the middle of it, David says, it is he who who made us, and not we ourselves. There is no such thing as a self-made person. That person does not exist. God made us. And that is true for our origin, being born, but it is also true for our status in life. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Sheep are not only dumb they are defenseless they cannot provide for themselves it's one animal that God made that needs a shepherd needs someone to direct it provide for it, protect it guide it tell it what to do and we are sheep that reminds me of David Now I thought I was done with David uh, you were probably maybe hoping we were done with David but we're not And um, I want to look this morning at the first chapter of 1 Kings, which is the last acts of David. And I don't think we'll have time this morning, but I also want to look at the last words of David, which are back in 2 Samuel. There's a section there that I skipped as we were going through 1 and 2 Samuel. So these are the last acts of David. And unfortunately, David in this first chapter of 1 Kings, has forgotten that he is not a self-made man, that he is merely a dumb sheep that God has elevated. And in this chapter, David is doing what any person will do who thinks that somehow he um, is a self-made person or that it depends upon him. And that is that he begins to try and prove himself. We all think we have something to prove. Somebody says something disparaging about us, and the first reaction, correct it. Defend yourself. I'm an expert at this, so I know what I'm talking about. The first response, typically, if there is any ounce of pride in us, and I'm not the only one in this room with an ounce of pride, is when somebody says something about us that isn't true. We get defensive, and we try to correct it. And we want to not let people go away believing what is untrue about us. That is not just because we love the truth. More to the truth, we love ourselves. <laughs> and we don't want anybody to think too lowly of us. We're more than happy often to have people think too highly of us. But don't you dare think too little <laughs> of us, of each other, of me. What's happening here as we start this chapter, it says now King David was old. To be exact, he was 70. So I don't like that, um, because that doesn't seem as old as it once did. He's advanced in age, and he's having a hard time staying warm at night. So they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So good servants that he had, they huddled together and they said, we've got to help David. And so they come up with a plan. Verse 2, they spoke to the king and said, let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king and let her attend the king and become his nurse. And let her lie in your bosom that my lord the king may keep warm. So they searched. They searched. For a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel, they held a Miss Israel contest. And they found a young girl named Abishag, and she was beautiful, and they brought her to the king. Verse 4, the girl was very beautiful, and she became the king's nurse, and she served him, but the king did not cohabit with her. Now, we work through this First Kings a few years ago, and so you may remember from that time that what's happening here is not about David being warm at night. This has been written in such a way that we can read it to our children and not have to really explain anything. But we should read between the lines a little bit here. If David was merely cold and one young, skinny, virgin girl could keep him warm at night. Then couldn't one of David's eight wives keep him warm at night? See, David has eight wives and many concubines. If this was just an issue of body heat, he has lots of options available. It didn't have to be a Miss Israel contest in the most beautiful girl in the country. This is a performance review. Plain and simple. David is supposed to prove that he still has what it takes to be king by being able to have sex with this girl. It is a performance review. You ever had a performance review at work? It won't be like this. <laughs> but nobody likes them. I haven't given very many performance reviews at his hill, largely because I guess I don't like them myself. And we all have heard those stories where you have performance re- reviews every six months or every year, and you have a long succession of good performance reviews, and then all of a sudden you get sacked. Right? We've all heard those stories. And you go, where did that come from? Every poor performance review, I've been told I'm doing a good job, and out of the blue, I get sacked. David is about to get sacked, and he knows it. And so the people have come to him, and in their limited way of thinking, we would call it that, in their very base and ungodly way of thinking, kings rule by sheer power. And if you don't have the physical strength to be sexually intimate with the most beautiful woman in the whole country, then how can you rule over a bunch of ruthless, bloodthirsty people? You rule by personal power, which isn't true. And if anybody should know that, it's David. This is a performance review. And David has succumbed to the temptation that he needs to prove himself. That takes us back to when David was first introduced to us. There was a giant on the battlefield, and every man was cowering. When that giant stepped out and said, give me a warrior to fight. And nobody would step forward. And this shepherd boy shows up. 16, 17 years old maybe. And he says, who's going to do something about this man? And everybody's going, you see, he's a giant. He's nine and a half feet tall. And David's going, God's bigger. A lot bigger. He's nothing to God. And David stepped out on that battlefield with no thought of proving himself. It wasn't about him. It was about his God being mocked by a pagan, unbelieving man. He never thought, oh, I'm going to show him how good I am with a swing shot. I'm going to show him how, how brave a man can be. Never entered David's mind. He went out there saying, This is God's enemy, and God is able to defeat this man. And he went out there with a sling and a rock, and we know the story. And everybody says, wow. And all of a sudden, David is elevated, and it was never because he sought to prove himself, never on his mind. And from that day, throughout most of David's reign, He constantly was was being reminded by God and demonstrating in his life that it is God who reigns. David is merely his servant. God is the one who's reigning over Israel. And God can take a sheep and use that sheep powerfully. Only God can do that. It's just a, a contradiction of terms. A powerful sheep? They don't exist. But there is a powerful shepherd, a powerful God, and he can use dumb sheep powerfully. Amazing. I mean, if there's ever a, a word picture, a powerfully used sheep, we can think of a powerful lion. Oh, yeah, I can get that. But God, in his strength, and might and wisdom can use the weak things of this world to confound the strong. And God takes the weak. And David became a great king because he had a great God. And he didn't forget that he was merely a sheep until now. And at the end of his life, he's doing what he never did. Fell to before. A lot of other things David fell to. But he has a pretty good track record about not trying to prove that he was something significant. And now at the end, he's saying, I have something to prove. I have a friend who is 70 now. And I remember four or five years ago, she told me that she was becoming invisible. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, I remember when I was a young woman. And people noticed me. And now I walk through a store, and I'm invisible. No one comes to my help. No one walks up and says, can I help you, ma'am? I have to go looking for people to help me. The older I get, the less visible I am. Makes you think you need to stand up and start jumping. Maybe raise your voice a little bit, get some attention. Because we're not being seen. We become irrelevant, so it feels. I remember sitting in a Bible study, and I was by far the youngest man in the Bible study. Average age was probably 75. And I have very little idea of who the men are, 20 men or so sitting around the table. But they, I was not surprised to hear, had all been men of great accomplishment. You Couldn't tell it now, because they're old. Bad hearing, bad eyesight, One or two of them walking with a cane or a walker, and nobody knows their stories. It's not easy. You can start to get depressed because you become irrelevant. You're being overlooked. People don't seek your counsel anymore. People don't think you have anything to say, and it's just too difficult because you've gotten so hard of hearing. They have to yell. And it's just too difficult. Overlooked. As a short man, I've been overlooked all my life. I was telling Marga a few weeks ago, she was looking for Max. And, and he was right out there, and she was just she was looking and didn't see him. And I said, Marga, look lower. <laughs> now I can say that and get away with it. And she, she laughed because she was, in fact, looking too high. Look a little lower. People say, Why are you always looking down at the ground, Charlie? And I said, I'm just looking straight ahead. (laughs) But in all seriousness, it's not fun to be overlooked. But the reason, again, is our pride. Because we think, Why would that person be recognized and not me? Don't they know? Those are the things that happen with old age been all through our lives, if we feel disrespected, if we feel that we are not believed, we talk and no one listens. The guy next to us talks and everybody stops and listens. If we feel that we are being dismissed to say nothing of being slandered or just rudely ignored, we take offense we get hurt. Don't we? And it's all because we think we're really more than just a sheep. How could you not value me? We think we have something to prove. And so when that slight comes when that indifference toward us comes. We're not all that different from David. And we say, see me. I'm still valid. I still have something to contribute. Really? And we forget youth. (laughs) When we were young and stupid... Hopefully, we were humble enough to know we don't have enough years to be heard. We don't have enough experience to be respected. And so you just go out in the trusting God, in the fear of God, and not really worrying because you're not old enough yet. But then we get older. And we begin to feel irrelevant, and we begin to think there's something we need to prove. But if God loves us, and God made us, and we are but the sheep of his pasture, so what? Because as we fade out from this world, and that's what's happening. We are stepping closer and closer to glory, and we are all going to have a recognition that we none of us deserves, a weight of glory that is exceeding, the scripture says. And we're going, "God's recognizing me, God's recognizing us. And we see God in His glory. We will be amazed that any glory is given to us. This morning, Tom read from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says, I saw God in his glory. Man, if we saw God in his glory, we would see how small and insignificant we are. And there would never be the thought that I need to prove myself. I shouldn't be overlooked. (laughs) Really? We should only be overlooked in view of our God, who is lofty and seated on high. He is the only one that should be seen. No wonder John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I must decrease, and he must increase. John refused to be slighted when Jesus was getting more of a crowd than John was. That's the way it's supposed to be. When the tension was, was being deflected from him and onto Christ, he says, exactly. It isn't about me. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, remember, they were dividing up as a church, or at least being tempted to divide up as a church, following different personalities, Paul and Apollos and Peter and even Christ. And and Paul's going, are you kidding me? It's not about us. He later writes in 1 Corinthians and says, Apollos and I are merely servants of God. One planted, another watered, but it's God who causes the growth. Why are you focused on us? Deflecting the attention to where it should be on Jesus Christ. David isn't doing that. But if he were to remember the one that he has sung so beautifully and eloquently about all through his life. If David were to remember he is but a sheep and God is the shepherd. What would it matter if he becomes increasingly irrelevant? The rest of this chapter is another sad thing, really. Not as bad, I don't think, but still nonetheless sad. And that is that David, it would seem, has not only been fallen to the temptation of thinking that he has to prove himself, but it appears that he is also presuming on the grace of God. Why do I think that? Because David had been given a promise by God, a covenant. Remember? That, through, that you will never lack a son to sit on your throne. That's a pretty solid promise. And God had told him that Solomon would be the next son to sit on his throne. And so when you've got the sure word of God, you can take it to the bank. And David underestimates the power of evil, even within his own family, and he should know it well. And David seems to believe, based upon what God has promised him, that he will never lack a son to sit on the throne, and the next one to sit on the throne will be Solomon. And it seems that David believes he can simply die a peaceful death, and after he's dead, Solomon can take the throne without installing him first. Presumption. We do the same thing. What David should have done, and because of this this presumptuous spirit, I can just die and leave things undone, and they will take care of themselves because God is in control. It almost wrecked everything. Because there's an older brother out there of Solomon, Adonijah, who's saying, I will be king. And he is fully prepared to assassinate Solomon and Solomon's mother and everybody who stands with Solomon. And it almost happened because of a father who is presuming upon the grace of God and leaving things undone that he needs to address before he dies. Great tragedy almost took place, and God used Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, the wife of David, to address the conspiracy that was taking place, and David installs Solomon on the throne before he dies, and that was his final act. But what led up to it was almost tragic because of his presumptuous spirit. Do we presume on the grace of God? We are forgiven. We will never be separated from the love of God. And God works all things together for good. And we are all tempted to presume upon those truths. No matter what I do, it's covered by the blood of Christ. Amen. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. Amen. God will work all things together for good. Take it to the bank. And we underestimate the power of evil, the presence of evil in this world and even within our own hearts. We presume on the grace of God. I am personally challenged more and more as the years go by of our brother Paul, who says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the end of his life. I have not arrived. I have not attained. But I press on. I reach forward. Twice he says, I press on. And I'm impressed. When life is full of crisis, it is not a hard thing to wake up in the morning and say, God help me. I cannot face this day. But as life winds down, or maybe it's just in the early in life, but everything is good. It's a different story, isn't it? to wake up and the first thought be, Jesus, I need you. But it's always true. We are in desperate need for his sustaining grace every minute that we live. He is with us. He loves us. He will never leave us and never forsake us. Amen. But that is not something to presume upon but rather it should motivate me and challenge me to seek him all the more. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It is a blessing to find an old saint who was still hungering and thirsting for righteousness, still pressing on. I've had many examples of those in my life. And I was always challenged to see that. And many times as a young man saying, I want to be that kind of man. Who wakes up in the morning and says, I need to hear from you, God. Who's still longing to be in the presence of God and to hear the words of God. To cry out to him and to know that he hears. To seek him. To hunger to know Him. Communion. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me until He comes again. It's not just ritual. It's an expression of the longing of the heart. I want you. I need you. I want to live in communion with you. And this will be the hunger of my heart until that day when you come again. That ought to be the final acts of David. His final words are better. We'll get to that next Sunday. His final acts, not consistent with his final words. Think of the rest And the joy. Just think about it. The rest and the joy and the peace that we could have if we were to truly live life free of the burden of having to prove ourselves. It just doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter if we are not seen or heard or respected or appreciated. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. And for every day that we are becoming invisible, he should be becoming more visible to us. And we will soon be with him in glory. Amen? And not to presume upon that and just sit on our hands and wait, but say, God, I want to strive to know you, to hunger for you, to press on and not to presume upon your loving grace that have been showered upon me. That is how we are to live. Nothing to prove but hungering and thirsting to the very end. As sheep walking with a shepherd and it's a great life. I'll close us in prayer.